If you would, open up with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 as we continue our worship of the Lord by opening up His Word to us. A word coming from Ephesians while y'all are getting there. Uh, we've been in this sermon series, Ephesians and you, with the emphasis on encouragement. Uh, we see here a very encouraging text in 17, 18, and 19. And, and the reality is, is that we see an answer to a very difficult problem. And remember, our definition of, of encouragement is positive forward movement. And, and one of the problems we have with positive forward movement, spiritually speaking, is that we're dead apart from God. And dead people don't move. That's a problem. I hope that y'all would agree. But what we see here is the answer. And, and the answer really comes in, in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the person and the work of God Himself sending His Son in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit's work within our very souls. And as I thought about how to introduce this, I thought of one question that is answered that I think is of utmost importance for us to leave being able to answer. I give it away in the sermon title, but that's okay. We know Jesus as the great physician, but what kind is he? Uh, you know, if you've got a foot problem, you probably need to go to a foot doctor. If you've got an ear problem, you probably don't need to go to the foot doctor. He could probably, generally speaking, say, yeah, I looked in there, Looks like something's up. You might want to go to the ENT, right? Uh, you know, that, I mean, that's the reality that we get. Uh, I call my brother-in-law sometimes. Uh, he's a doctor who's many miles away, and he says, yep, sounds like you need to go to the doctor. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, what's he going to do, right? And, and so when, when we think of Jesus, who, by the way, describes himself, we see the Scripture revealing him as, as this great physician, this healer, both of the physical and the spiritual, what kind of physician is he? It's a little bit silly, but I actually believe we get the answer. We get the answer of what kind of physician God is. Our main point is that God's salvation work changes how we see life and the world. Let's pray. We'll read these three verses. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we open your word to worship you, God, I pray that we might devote ourselves, that we might pour out our weakness our sin, our need, ourselves, and that, and that we might see who you are and what you're doing, and that, God, we might worship you, that you might receive worship, that you would be glorified, and that it would be for our good as you work miracles in our souls. And so, God, do it in Jesus' name. Through this reading of your word, amen. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God it remains forever. 
and we can praise him for it even now as we see that God's salvation work changes how we see life and the world. And we'll see it in three ways. Number one, there is the Spirit-giving Father in the first part of verse 17. There is the sight-giving Spirit in the second part of verse 17 into the first part of verse 18. And then we'll finish out with hope, riches, and immeasurable greatness being realized in this giving God. And we'll see that at the end of our text. So first then, as we're looking to see how this, this work of God changes us, what, what God is doing, we see initially that there is a Spirit-giving Father. This is coming from that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. Let's notice before we get to the give part that we have the God of the universe being described here. Uh, a lot of times what happens in uh, churches, uh, 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 ranging in conservatism, ranging in scriptural integrity, is that God the Father, speaking of the Trinity, is relegated to an Old Testament wrath-like figure. And that Jesus softens the Trinity, comes meek and mild, that, that he might somehow round out the Father. And then we see the Holy Spirit that no one even really knows about or speaks about, ever. That's typically how it goes. It's not a joke. It's how this thing plays out. And, and yet, uh, uh, the scriptures themselves, if you were to be an active reader and studier of them, flip that notion on its head because we see Jesus speak of wrath more so in the New Testament than you might be able to find in the majority of the Old Testament. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Woe to you, Pharisees! If you look around and you see someone's fruit and it doesn't look so good, you'll know them by that. They have revealed themselves. Watch out for wolves and false teachers. They're there. Be careful because the end is coming. Stay awake. The thief is coming. Stay awake. Stay awake. It's coming. That's Jesus. Now that's not to say that God the Father is not a just God. This is the same God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're not three gods, but one God. They, uh, 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 you see within this Trinity a revelation as God the Father uh, 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 most naturally revealing Himself in this mass and immense way, this glorious way as we see Paul here, the Father of glory representing the fullness of creation, representing an extension of a plan that goes beyond human comprehension, a plan that goes beyond time itself. That this Father of glory is the one that we're speaking of, the one true God. Not the stone and wood and marble and brick and mortar gods of the world. Not money, but something lasting. The one who was and is and is to come, the Father of glory. This is who it is that we're speaking of. And this Father of glory is building a bridge. He, he is giving something to his people. Uh, this Father of glory 
he, he is outside of time. He is in no way in need of anything. Uh, he doesn't need me to proclaim the truth. He is the truth. Whether you agree or I agree, it doesn't, it doesn't affect who God is. We could all, in the course of a minute, uh, stop believing, run out of here and do whatever, and it'll affect us. But it will not affect God. God is outside of time. Whether we like it or not, God is outside of our human emotion. We see in the scriptures God revealed in a way that helps us understand him. And so you see, for instance, God is love. And God does embody the fullness of love. But it's not in the way that we might feel it. God is love. Rebecca and I were having a conversation about jealousy. Uh, we were looking at this very cool poet who kind of does some art as well. This Christian uh, uh, person who's really super cool uh, describing jealousy. And, and you know, when we think of God, uh, the scriptures de de define him, reveal him. He reveals himself and his character. He is a jealous God. But that's not... Uh, our jealousy. Uh, when Rebecca and I first started dating, one of my sinful tendencies was jealousy. Somebody talks to Rebecca, and I was jealous. In fact, that was probably a revealing of, of uh, my own uh, inadequacies, right? Uh, that's usually what jealousy is revealing, <laughs> or a desire or greed, right? To kind of want to pull something in. That's not right. My jealousy is inappropriate. God's jealousy, he, he is jealous. He is the fulfillment and the embodiment of the perfection that, that he alone deserves eyesight. That's hard for us to almost get there, right? Same with wrath. Wrath is a tricky one for us. And judgment and truth. But this is the glorious God and, and he's building a bridge now to, to give us something. To give us his Holy Spirit. A God who is outside of time, God who is totally other, sends his son who has a name, Jesus, he will save, and another name, Emmanuel, God with us in time, in person, who can be touched. No one has seen the Father except coming through me, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All of a sudden, this glorious God, God the Father, is revealing Himself in God the Son. He is giving us something. He's giving us Himself. And as I told the children, again, whether we like it or not, God is the one who does this. We can never build the bridge. We can only tear it down. We have been corrupted since our first father, Adam. It was not Eve who caused this. It was Adam, Adam himself, who questioned God. And as God uh, 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 was looking for them, he said, where are you? Again, it's a human way. God knew. And yet that's the moment where we could no longer build the bridge. The fall had come and corruption had entered in to creation. By man. And God did not totally destroy, but extended the hand. God did not totally destroy in the flood, but extended the rainbow. God did not totally destroy uh, 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 his people when uh, they went astray with the golden calf, 
Moses interceded, looking like Jesus, revealing to us Jesus the interceder. God did not totally destroy his people when Satan tempted David to take an unrighteous census. And if you recall that, at the end of Kings or at the end of Chronicles, wherever you might be reading, and you see that David did this thing and God said, which do you want? Do you want to fall into the people's hands or do you want to fall into my hands? And David said, your hands. And he knew it was going to be terrible. Because God is powerful, and God is just, and God is jealous. And David had done the unrighteous thing, and so death breaks out. But God did not kill them all. And as, Mo, as David intercedes like the Lord Jesus, revealing to us Jesus, God builds the bridge once again. This glorious God is given. That alone should give us pause. But there's more. Because not only is God the Father giving us His Spirit, this Spirit-giving Father, we also have the sight-giving Spirit because there is a work of salvation taking place. Verses 17 and 18, second part and first part. We see this Father of glory giving you. Giving you what? He's giving us the Spirit and this Holy Spirit. He's full of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Of who? Of, of God. Of God the Father, of God the Son, and of Himself, God the Spirit. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. This Holy Spirit, uh, He is bearing out. Uh, God is bearing out within us as He's doing a work of uh, wisdom. Isn't wisdom nice? But aren't we so foolish? Uh, I'm a journaler, and in my journal, I, I have this uh, repeating phrase. This is probably revealing of me and not of y'all, but maybe you might resonate. Uh, I read the Proverbs, and I say, well, I wish I was the wise one, but I look a whole lot like the foolish one, right? Because yeah, that's the two big archetypes, right? The wise one. The wise go this way. The foolish go that way. And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know about this. I, I fall to the foolish side sometimes. Perhaps if you are going along with us in our daily devotionals, the Tuesday and Thursday video devotionals in Proverbs, you're familiar with this kind of flow, right? You think, no, what have I done? But the Holy Spirit is coming. And he's bearing out a wisdom that, that gives us eyes to see. And, and it's not my glasses to my glasses, even though that's great, right? You want that if I'm driving, you know. But, but we also want the eyes of our hearts for when we're driving in church, don't we? And don't we see the crashes that happen when we don't have our heart eyes on? Surely you know what I mean. But, but there's also this wisdom, and, and that comes with it, revelation. You know, how, how are we to be ones who reveal God, right? This is a big question for pastors and for teachers. And the, the answer for humans drives us crazy. Because we are not in control of the revelation. Uh, I am a speaker. 
of the revelation, a proclaimer of the revelation. I give you that which has been given, that which you have for yourself, and we do so formally on behalf of what God has called us to as a people. But it is the Holy Spirit who is full of revelation and giving us a revealing factor, the eyes to see. And the same is true with knowledge. How, how do you get Bible knowledge? And what is it? I have made this illustration before, and it's important to make it again. Some of the most well-versed Bible scholars I know are atheists. They do not believe in God let alone the Lord Jesus, let alone the Holy Spirit indwelling our souls. They don't believe in a soul, but biological neuron firing because of the brain. And I hope that y'all believe in neuron firing because of the, of the brain. But we also, as followers of the Lord Jesus, having heart eyes opened with, with wisdom and revelation, brings us into knowledge. We, we see something beyond, but, but it's not the apostles' names. I think it would be wise for us to have a general knowledge of the apostles' names, okay? But Bartholomew is not going to save you. Neither is the capability to quote large swaths of theology. Neither is the recitation of Scripture. All of those things, I think, are really wonderful things to be about. But that's not the knowledge that saves. Only God can give you that. And it's knowledge of himself. And he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That Father is a Father of glory, the creator of all things. That Son is the Lord Jesus Christ, born into this world for one purpose, that he might live a perfect life, that he might sacrifice himself for his people, and that he might rise again victorious over death. As Jesus raises up into the heavenly places, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what does he do? He and the Father send the Comforter, the Worker, the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit, who is full of wisdom, who has knowledge, who is revealing, he does that work in your very heart. That's the gospel. That's the changing moment for God's people. It's what separates the wheat and the chaff. It's not knowledge of the 66 books of the Bible. Though Christians, usually and generally speaking, will have more knowledge of such than non-believers. It's not our uh, touted and esteemed classical reformed theology dating back to whatever century you'd like to say. Though there is much wisdom to have that. No, this sight-giving spirit has a concern for your very soul. And my concern is that, is that we are relegating God to, uh, uh, to some box where we think that if we can get enough knowledge of Him, if we can jam enough knowledge into the next generation, that they will believe. And you're wrong. You're wrong. That's not how you get your children to believe. 
That's not how you see the church prevail. That's not the desire of God. That's not Ephesians 1, 17, 18, or 19. That's not the reality of what we see Paul post-conversion. That's Paul pre-conversion when he's killing Christians. And Jesus showed up on the road and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul saw and believed. And that is Ephesians 1, 17, 18, and 19. Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus, in all likelihood, this is the teacher of Israel, okay? This, this would be uh, not unnatural for him to have had the entire Old Testament as we know it right now memorized. Think about that for a second. Memorized. He had it all at the tip of his finger. This would have been the tradition that he's coming in. And he had no idea what Jesus was talking about. But he came. And his coming is the Holy Spirit's work, not what he was studying in the classroom. It was his life. It was his soul. And it was his conversation, direct, one-on-one, face-to-face, eye-to-eye with the Lord Jesus that caused Nicodemus to be saved, as we see in the Gospel of John. I won't ruin, ruin it for you. It doesn't take you long to read the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John today, starting from one, going all the way to the end. It'll take you like an hour or two. And as you read it, look for Nicodemus. It's a wonderful faith exercise. Where does he show up? And what is he doing? No, the sight-giving spirit giving us eyes in our heart, enlightening us to the reality of all of this wisdom, of all of this revelation, of all of this knowledge. This is what it means uh, when we talk about personal salvation. Because here's the thing. I just can't save you. Your parents can't save you. Uh, Your children can't save you. There is no salvation apart from the Lord. And, And when we cry out to God, as I have said before, God has already built the bridge and is extending the hand and is saying, Come to me, I have sent my son Jesus. Come to me. Are you weak? Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? I'll give you rest. I'm powerful. But there's more. Because as the eyes of our heart are, reve- are, are, uh, are enlightened, and we have all of these things, wisdom, revelation, and knowledge, the Spirit-giving Father, giving us the sight-giving Spirit, this, this God working through the Lord Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is granting upon us hope and riches and immeasurable greatness. Whoa. That sounds like a slogan right there. Uh, Second part of verse 18 through 19. Uh, Listen for the words. Hope, riches, immeasurable greatness. Uh, We'll start the second part of verse 18. This is what we'll know. What we're called to. Our hearts are enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? There is given hope by God. And and the point is, is that we must be ones 
who are realizing the hope? Do you realize your hopefulness in the Lord? Or are you turning away in hopelessness unto the world? This is a choice of yours, O follower of God. If the Lord Jesus has worked in you, if he has given you uh, uh, eyes in your heart to have wisdom and revelation and knowledge, you now have a choice where you didn't before. And your choice is this, hope or hopelessness. It's your choice. Which do you choose? And I hope that if we were taking a test, y'all would write hope, okay? That, my, my hope is that you would write hope. But the practice test, the life test, is where you need to measure your written answer. Are you a hopeful person or a hopeless person? It bears out in all of you. I mean, not all of y'all. I mean, like all of who you are, singular, personality, what you do, interactions with people, relationships, all of this reveals your hope level or your hopelessness level. But, but not only does God call us into hope and, and call us to have eyes firmly planted on hopefulness rather than hopelessness, because you notice that, because not only does he give us hope, look in verse 18, uh, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He's saying, come here, come into hope. Don't go to hopelessness, come into hope. Okay, that's where that's coming from. That's not a Jeremiah opinion. That is the word, okay? So see it there and remember it there. Pursue hope, a hope that's being given, a hope that's being called to you. But not only is there this given hope, this call to hope, there is also a, a, a richness that we have, an immeasurable richness, a glorious inheritance in the saints. We've discussed the inheritance before uh, and, and what this does for us is it begins to eliminate the worldly stuff issue. Are we more concerned, for instance, uh, let me be careful how I say this because this isn't, I'm not trying to make some weird point. Are, are we worried about how we look or are we worried about our spiritual character? You know, sometimes I think that we are more worried as, not just as centennial people, I just mean as people in general. It's not a southern thing, but I think that we do have a southern flair to it. With, with kind of how we present ourselves, or with who we are. This is very important because, because these spiritual inheritance, it eliminates the, uh, uh, the rich and poor. It'll, uh, um, paradigm, right? James speaks against this. Be careful, right? He says that rich people don't need to get uh, first line credit in your church. That's what he says. James 1. Look it up. Uh, so it eliminates rich and poor, this spiritual inheritance. God is the great equalizer. It eliminates uh, ethnicity, right? Black and white. It doesn't remove our cultural heritage of who God has uh, made us by where we are, right? I grew up in a place you didn't grow up in. And I guarantee you we've got a different flair because of it, okay? Uh, some of y'all like some of this stuff. I like some of you don't. Okay? And so I'm not saying it that we're just automatons, but we see this in Revelation, for instance, right? Where every nation, tribe, tongue, all of them come to worship God. There is an inheritance that's given through, through belief in the Lord Jesus. And so it's not an ethnicity thing. 
It's not a black-white thing. All of these things that the world is so hyper-desirous to focus in on. A pleasure thing. A drug thing. A gender thing. An issue thing. Over and over, the focus is on something that is not God. And what we see in the church and what we see given to us by God is that, is that we have been given a, a wonderful inheritance, a glorious inheritance that, that's fitting a glorious Father who is bequeathing it to us through His Son, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit would be like the executor. If you remember, He's the one signing the guarantee. He has the power to do that. And so what we see then is... is is this tie that binds in the fullest of ways. It de-emphasizes the worldly stuff. And it allows us to focus in on the spiritual things that really matter. You know, there's a lot of things that I just don't care about. And if you've talked to me, you know about 75% of them. Because my eyes either go bland or I say... I don't care. I'm not ashamed to say it. I just don't care. Y'all y'all decide. I just don't care. I think it's important for us to have XYZ uh, at ABC time. But things begin to smooth out when we focus on the spiritual. But are you focused on the spiritual or not? But not only do we have hope, not only do we have a spiritual inheritance that irons all these things out, we also have uh, something more, uh, a measurable greatness. Well, how am I to explain a measurable greatness? Well, let's just look at the whose power it is, where this power is going, and what in the world is at work. You'll see this in 19. We see a measurable greatness of His power. So this is God's power being given to us, okay? Uh, what kind of power, though? Uh, this is... The measurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So now it's not just us, it's us who believe. Believing in the Lord Jesus is the implication. Believing in the good news. Believing in the full revelation of God. Having wisdom, revelation, knowledge given from the Spirit. Heart, eyes open now, right? So now we know that this is God the Father giving immeasurable greatness to his people. His people being the ones who are believing in what he has revealed. Now, according to the working of his great might... Which one is more miraculous? The creation of Mount Everest, the creation of a ladybug, the creation of humanity, or the salvation of your soul? Which one do you think? You know, you might say mountain, right? Mountain's super big, right? Mountain's big. Ladybug, though, has DNA. That's tricky, right? Because now you're not dealing with rock, you're dealing with life, right? And, and, and you know, imagine the engineering schematic of a round ladybug opening up and flying, right? Eyes that see, sensory organs, this intricate moment. But then, well, ladybug's nothing, right? Why don't you zoom up to a human? You think ladybug, what about the soul? We're thinking about this stuff. We're writing stuff about ladybugs. I'm drawing a ladybug. Right? But that happened with a word of his power. Right? Ladybug. B. Ladybug. Right? Human. B. Human. 
Mountain. B. Mountain. But what about your salvation? In order for God to maintain his character of absolute justice and absolute mercy, he couldn't speak salvation into existence. He revealed it in another way. He sent his son in time after thousands of years of revelation of what was coming, of prophecy. Right, boys? Where's my Sunday school at? Oh, I see y'all up there. Henry's not paying attention. <laughs> prophecy, right, man? You got it, didn't you? Prophecy. That's what we talked about. Our Sunday school class talked about prophecy for hundreds and for thousands of years. God, he said he was going to do a work that he was going to save his people and that that was going to fulfill his justice and that was going to fulfill his mercy that he might be the God of salvation to a thousand generations and that he might also at the same time not withhold his justice from the guilty. And how in the world does that work? It works through the person and work of Jesus who received the full wrath on the cross. That's what the Sunday school lesson was about today in the quarterly. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. The fullness of time. The moment. The pivotal moment where we see all prophecy fulfilled and we see a movement going forward of salvation as we await the Lord Jesus to come again. And that is immeasurably great. Salvation work. That is the immeasurable greatness that God has given unto his people. It's realized in him. God's salvation work changes how we see life in the world. Let me apply this super fast and we're going to be done. We know Jesus as the great physician, but what kind? Well, here it tells us he's an optocardiologist, okay? He's working uh, uh, to allow our hearts to see. All right, that's what he's doing. Uh, straight up, that's what he is. Uh, it's the most important doctor you'll ever visit. And my question to you is, are you going for regular checkups? And I hope that you have heard me well, because learning about God is not going for a checkup. If I got God to come up here and I asked him how many times his people had Wikipedia, some problem, his worried mom saying, hey, uh, I, I did the research, it's this. And God said, no, it's not. Stop, right? Stop doing that. Uh, it just doesn't work the way you think it does, right? Uh, it's just, it's plain and simple. If you learn about what a doctor does, a doctor, that does not make you, right? It just doesn't work that way. Or we wouldn't need them. And so I ask, I'm not talking about your learning. I'm talking about your real devotion, not your devotion time. I'm talking about your real devotion, your real doctor's visit. Are you going to Jesus, the great physician, or not? And don't be like those who start out with a little problem. And they let it go on for years. And it turns into something big. If you know what I mean, you know. But it's terrible. 
when you see someone who has just something so minor, something that could be remedied, and they let it go for years and years. And when they stop and look, it's too late. It's either inoperable, it's either progressed, or it's caused such severe health ramifications that there is no fixing it now. And the only answer is death. The same is true for our spiritual well-being. When God opens our eyes by the Holy Spirit, we will pursue Him. Yes, there is learning. Yes, there is all these things. But there must be devotion. And that devotion is going to Jesus and pouring yourself out and witnessing His work on your life and then bearing witness to that in real time. If you are not doing that, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, call me and make an appointment that I might get you on the doctor's schedule. It might be the most important thing you'll ever do in your entire life. I'm being dead serious. It's that important to me. We must be ones who devote ourselves to God because God's salvation work changes how we see life and how we see the world. And when we are changed, surprise, surprise, we will be different. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thanks for this word. It's a strong one. And God, even as we think about what it means to devote ourselves to you, may we be ones, whether or not we were doing it before, may we be ones who stand now and who devote ourselves with our very soul to you. In Jesus' name, amen.